Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. How can you prepare somebody to be open to your And marketers who like creating content like we do, essentially that's often the role of content. It's not to push people to buy right away, but it's to build trust and awareness and interest. And so the concept of persuasion is what can you do before you make an ask to basically lay the groundwork so that when you make an ask, people are more likely to say yes. Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Today, I have a returning guest, Caitlin Burgoyne. She has one of the top podcasts we've recorded. If you want to go back and listen, but I've decided to bring her to round two to talk about more marketing psychology stuff. What's up, Caitlin? Welcome to the pod. Hi, delighted to be here again. Um, I want to get started for people who didn't listen to the first episode you had of who you are. How did you get into marketing? So I kind of fell into marketing by mistake, uh, which I think is true for a lot of marketers. I didn't study in school, didn't do any business courses in school, actually. I was thought I was going to be a lawyer, ended up taking English, had no job, <laughs> was waitressing, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And at the time, my boss, she was like, you're great with people, you're a good writer, like if you considered PR. And I had not, I didn't know what PR stood for. So I was like, I have not considered it. And then I went home and looked it up. And I was like, this does sound like something I'd be good at. And so I ended up getting a master's in PR. And that gave me this toe dip into marketing. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. Like, how did I know how cool this was? So I got my first job at a branding agency, worked there for a year. And somebody reached out and they were like, I'm starting this new model. I just sold my agency. I want to bring together a bunch of individual freelancers that will kind of come together for projects and also be independent. And would you be interested? And I was like, fuck yes. So I started a business with no experience, really. And that was 12 years ago. So and then since then, there's been different companies, um, some exits, some big, huge failures. And now I'm running Why We Buy, which is a newsletter that goes out to 60,000 subscribers, all about helping them to understand buyer psychology so that they can craft better marketing materials. And the topic we're going today is persuasion. Do you want to just go describe what persuasion is before we get into some tactical things that people can do with persuasion? So marketers probably know what this is already instinctively, but they probably don't have a word for it. If you if you haven't read Robert Caldini's book, Persuasion, you might have heard of his book, Influence. That's probably his most popular, but Persuasion came later. And the idea was, how can you prepare somebody to be open to your offer? And marketers who like creating content like we do, essentially that's often the role of content. It's not to push people to buy right away, but it's to build trust and awareness and interest. And so the concept of persuasion is what can you do before you make an ask to basically lay the groundwork so that when you make an ask, people are more likely to say yes. And uh, Robert Cladini cleverly calls it persuasion instead of persuasion because it's the stuff that comes before. But it's something I'm really geeky about because as creators ourselves and as marketers, we're often thinking about why should I create content and what type of content should it be and like where in the funnel does it fall? And I think when you understand kind of the tenets of persuasion, you can 
create more effective content marketing because it's not just about educating and awareness, but it's about actually moving people to be ready to pour your thing. So I know we talked about this before the podcast and we're, we're both content creators that give a lot of free stuff away. So I wanted to go into that topic first. Of okay. How is that persuasion? What can marketers do to start priming their audience to want to be in the buying mood? In the book, um, Persuasion, Robert Kalei talks about a couple different things. And some of these will be really similar to what marketers already know. But again, there's moments, I call them trigger events in a lot of my work, when people might be experiencing a situation where they're experiencing pain and they are more likely to be open to a solution. As we say in marketing, you know, only 3% of your market is actually like in the buying cycle to be ready for your thing. And it's better if you can identify what those moments are, those trigger events, and you can get in front of people with solutions then. Then when you present your solution, they're like, oh, okay. So if you're helping them to overcome a problem that then creates a gap, and that gap is this seems too hard or I don't know how to do that, or that would be really slow to do manually, maybe I need to buy software, then you have that kind of like success gap. So you're reaching them at the right moment with a helpful piece of content or a helpful solution. And then you're creating a gap where it's like, okay, now I know what to do and I want to do it, but I can't do it on my own easily. And then your solution seems like a great fit. So like there's those moments, there is just, you know, capturing their attention, right? Like we don't realize as marketers how valuable it is not just to, when people are paying attention to something, they think it's important, whether or not it's important, right? Like, so we find like on social media, like if you're following an influencer, we develop these like parasocial relationships with these online people where we're like, we feel close to them. Like it feels like they're like always showing up for us. And we for, like we think that they're really important. If you ask 90% of your friends IRL <laughs> who that person is, they have no idea, right? Like, so for us, they're really influential because they've, they have our attention and they're keeping our attention. So that's another kind of content you talk. So it's like, you know, capturing that attention and then keeping that attention because the more that something keeps showing up, the more attention we give it, the more important we believe it to be. And this is why marketers hear about like, you know, the rule of seven. Somebody needs to hear something seven times. Well, seven is an arbitrary number some marketer chose, but the idea that the, we have to hear something a bunch and pay a lot of attention to it to start realizing how important it is, that's really true. It's called pay attention for a reason. People are paying attention to you. So I think that's important, but I want to go into deeper an example of how to even build that relationship between you and your audience. What are some things I need to do in my content or what are things to do to get people into the mood of saying oh i trust this person enough that i if, if they asked me for, didn't ask i would jump on it awesome question so let's use this example or like let's come come in on something very specific like, let's talk about a linkedin post right like you kill it on linkedin you're obviously really really good at this but like with a linkedin post you basically have the opportunity to take somebody 
from, you know, maybe they're problem aware. They know that they've got a specific problem. And that's why when you identify that problem, maybe in the hook of your post, the kind of first couple of sentences, they're like, okay, this is interesting to me because I have that problem. And in that post or that video or that like, you know, uh, carousel, whatever it is, you have the opportunity to kind of move them along from problem aware to solution aware to being aware of you to kind of being bought in. But what do those actual pieces look like? Like you asked, like, what's the persuasion there? So there's a few things that can be really powerful from a psychology perspective. One of the big ones, credibility, right? Are you credible? You are telling me something. Why should I listen to you? Why should I give you my attention? Like if somebody says that they, you know, Justin Welsh uses this one all the time. He'll start with a really big number that he's done in revenue, right? And like from the get-go, you're like, whoa, that's like a credibility anchor. You're interested. So now you have my attention. Another one is likability, right? We want to buy from people that we like. So showing off your personality, being specific, using kind of like humor or wit or whatever it is that kind of makes you likable to an audience, big persuasive technique. Another one he talks about is unity. So guess who we'd really like? People like us. So if I can see, oh, you're a mom of a toddler too. I'm immediately going to feel more of a sense of unity with you than, you know, some 22-year-old digital nomad who has a completely different lifestyle than me. And so showing up into your audience and kind of like showing them I'm like you, really great way to be persuasive. Another one is associations, right? So our brain works by connecting ideas together. So when you can associate an idea with one that people already believe or already know about, or even a person that people already like and believe, then suddenly you glean from that. So this is why, for example, thinking about, will be a good one for associations. There's a couple that I talk about. I've got an email, a free email course on this, but like the idea is like you, when you connect to the thing that you're doing to something people already understand. It just makes it so much easier. I think that a company that did this really well was Winter. So Winter is um, Peplajaz. It's basically a messaging platform that allows you to kind of test your message with your target audience. But when it started, he wasn't positioning it that way, right? He was talking about it as a copy testing platform. But copy is kind of like, yeah, like messaging is a really important thing that marketers know is really important. So by drilling down on that specific use case, you kind of build this association with messaging is important. This is an important problem. I should look at this product. Oh, and I can use it for all of these other testing solutions as well. Great. But it's associated with a thing that I know is actually important. So it's like coming up with the right associations for your brand too, showing that you were on a popular podcast, like you know, you went to a big, good, good school. Like all of those things kind of bleed into somebody's perception of you. If you're writing content from a place with no expertise behind the content, a content marketer is great. But if you're writing to plumbers, for example, and you're not a plumber, it's hard for a plumber to trust that you, with your content, that you, you've done that thing. So having an expert in-house that could be the face that was a plumber or is a likable plumber or that's why content creators are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger because 
they experts in the field. They understand their audience. They they're likable. They're marketers. So, for example, I'm I market a market. I'm a marketer, so I understand marketers. The key thing is expertise, which I was trying to drill down into that point. And I think you made a great point of nailing it with all those different points of psychology that why expertise works. You're so right about expertise because at the end of the day, it comes back to that unity thing, right? Like who do we who do we trust? Who's credible? People who have expertise, people who have shown us like they are like us. Like, and then yeah, if you're trying to sell to plumbers, if you have that plumber on the team, or at least if you have a plumber that's kind of like overlooking the content and being able to say, no, 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 don't use those words. Marketers, like, you know, plumbers would never use those words. I think that's so important. You're right. It's very often missed, especially in B2B. People outsource it to content creators who have no experience (laughs) in that sector. And as soon as the, like, you know, the person who's, that's their skill set reads it, it's just fluff. And they know that it's just fluff. And that's a huge part of it. This idea of like, you know me, you understand me. And it's interesting how even changing Let's take the same piece of content. Let's go into a particular vertical, maybe like medicine. So like, let's say you're building a social network for doctors. Like that's a thing that exists, right? If your content marketing is coming from this like 22-year-old marketing person that has no credibility with the doctors, or if your content is coming from an actual like doctor, it could be the exact same content, but the credibility, the unity, right? That's like, this is like me. This is a person who's credible. The trust factor, just changing the name of who the content came from and the profile picture changes the entire perception of whether people are going to be open to that message or not. So huge point. Like our, again, like this, that's, that's like our perceptions are basically what's moving us towards being open to, to buying. So one thing that I know in Cialdini's book, in persuasion, he talks about little tests that you could do to landing pages that could persuade, like have persuasion on people. I think he talks about a furniture store Love putting two different, one with coins and one with, I think like like fluffy wow. clouds, and yeah. it changed the people. One was more price sensitive, and one was more thinking about comfort when they did both did. those things. And I think I want you to go into like, what are some th- other things marketers could do like that? that mm-hmm. Cause that's happened before they even made a decision to buy. So I'm persuaded that. So that's priming and priming is so important and you can prime people with words and you can prime people with imagery. We process imagery 60 times faster than we process words. So using Imagery to share a message is hugely valuable. And we process emotions, right? If we see a face of a person that immediately tells us something about a product. So you can prime your audience through your words, but you can also do it through your videos and images. So looking at an example, I've got a sales page for my a product called the Clarity Call Cheat Sheets, where I teach people how to like run customer interviews better understand the customers. If you go to that sales page, what you probably are not going to notice. It's like like intentionally notice, but what might prime you to start to see the value of a product like that is that on that page, you've got little kind of like 
upward to the right graph showing money being made. You've got Stripe and PayPal notifications that are showing up by an image where it looks like they're making more money. You've got little dollar signs. So the original hero image we use there, it's a woman on the phone talking to a customer. So this is this is my uh, this is something different. I'm actually talking about this is the let the homepage for the customer campsite. So it's a person on their phone, and it's like the idea would be like, okay, they're doing marketing or they're like checking their notifications or something. But around them are all of these little images with the idea of priming the person to think, I can make more money, I can get more results, I can get more feedback from my audience without us ever saying those. So in that way, we are basically priming the audience to associate understanding their customer with all of these outcomes that they care about without using those words explicitly in that area. So things like that, I mean, the imagery you use, even one thing we teach in the Unignorable Challenge is this program we run, like even your profile picture on LinkedIn, let's say you have a profile picture where in one version, you're facing to the left. Well, guess what is facing to the right? your name and your headline. So when you show up in the LinkedIn news feed, if you take your profile picture and you flip it, so instead of you looking to the left, you're now looking to the right, you're unknowingly directing the attention of your audience's attention towards your name and your headline. If you continue to focus to the left, you're not doing that. So that's called the eye gaze technique. So there's all these tiny things. You can do these tiny changes that in some cases can have a small effect, But if you're a big brand and you're spending a lot of money on your campaigns, then these little changes can make a big impact. I know we have a mutual uh, liking for Rory Sullivan, but I think a lot of these things that you do, there is like psychology data that could support it, but there's not any real data in your systems that would say, hey, let's put emojis of money sign on my page and we will will increase conversion rate but it's something that that little change could have a 5x increase in your conversion rate just because you made a little change like that and i think that's why i believe psychology is so important because like rory said it's easier to do a 10x psychological moonshot than a 10x product moonshot or anything like that so you make these little changes that cost way less money, but could also improve things. Or you can try do redo your whole site or build a new chatbot or do this thing. Or maybe just test one little image on your page and it could make the whole difference in increasing conversion rate or something like that. Where I get excited is that there are critics of the world of behavioral economics, which is the kind of like the scientific branch that studies this kind of stuff. I think that when it comes to behavioral economics, like a lot of the times these things are studied in labs, the way that they write these academic papers, it might seem like this is always going to work, right? But we know as marketers that context is everything. And we know that like the context can constantly be changing. So the type of marketing message that works in a non-recession might not work in a recession. This exact same message, because people are not in the non-recession, people are thinking about how do I maximize my money, right? In a recession, they're thinking about how can I save more? So if a study comes out with like a word change and it goes into some academic journal and suddenly now everyone's saying, this is gospel, this is going to work. But guess what? It worked in that context. It may not always work in another context. But as marketers, what I love is like, we're not solving, like, you know, we're not trying to do rocket science. We're not world, like solving world hunger. We're trying to figure out if we can make small iterations or big iterations 
to an experience to create more value for customers and more economic value for a company. So what we're looking for are directional cues as to what to try. Because if we don't have any directional cues, we're just going to like kind of go on gut instinct and stereotypes and like, you know, these beliefs, like whatever our competitors are doing. But when we learn about this kind of stuff, it kind of gives us an indication as to what might work. And sometimes it's not going to work. And that's okay, right? I think it's Rory that says this. He's like, marketing isn't about being right. It's about being less wrong. And what I love about behavioral science is it gives you, it's basically like having a compass to move you towards being less wrong, as opposed to just being like, that seems to be working for them. Let's do that. Or everyone's spending on billboards right now. Like, let's do that. You know, like it gives you a sense of what to try and hopefully makes you a whole lot smarter about the way you're spending your money. And for people who like data, there's a bunch of data that, well, you can go look at and research and you can see that, okay, it might not be this trigger, like Caitlin says, but it could be this one or this one. And you can try all these things. And what's great about marketing, like you said, is we're in an age where we can test these things pretty quickly as opposed to 50 years ago when it was a little harder to test things. We can make pretty quick iterations and test things and try different things to see how our audience is and or do the pre-work and go figure out what your audience like, like the psychological cues that your audience has what they actually care about what what are those things that they actually the needs and wants and beliefs they have and do the pre-work so you don't have to do all that guesswork on your landing page and spend all that money this is why I love like Rory Sutherland's work in his book Alchemy, because like I think that there are people in the world who are like very, very creative. And there are people in the world who are very, very logical in the way that they like to approach problem solving. And I think what's cool about marketing is you get to be both because there's obviously data that you could draw on. There's like, you know, there's you can think very strategically. You can go into it with like a quantitative approach to analyzing things. Then there's a magic element too. And if you don't have, if you're not bringing both to the table, then you're really not going to get the best results. And you have to have that kind of combination of instinct and insight and fuse those together. And sometimes when you do it right, that just creates magic. But what ends up happening in a lot of cases is they go way too hard into one direction, right? Like when growth hacking became this huge buzzword, everyone was so excited about it. It was like, just change the button color and it could do this. And it was like, eh, like, no, like you still need to really deeply understand your customers to figure out what ex like experiments that you should be running and how to change the copy and like all like the imagery, and all this stuff. Like it's, you can move, you can rapidly experiment, but you also need to make sure that that's really insight driven as well. And there should still be an element of like, let's just fucking see, do this because it's cool. Like we may not be able to measure it, but I think it could be really cool. I think that that's what makes marketing so much fun because you get to run between those two worlds. But I don't think every marketer is good at both of those things, which is why we're lucky that we have so many different types of specialists in it. Like, but I think if you're a strategist, then you probably need to be. And I, that's what I love about marketing. You know, I was watching Lessons in Chemistry. It's a new show. And I was just thinking like how like science is to marketing because what you need in marketing is to have, you need that deep expertise in your field. So you need to be studying marketing all the time. But you also need to 
have crazy hypotheses, crazy ideas, mix things that you've done, but you need to know what you're mixing. That's the the key. Mm-hmm. You, well, that um, so really everything in marketing are just many scientific experiments with the, with the idea that there's no right or wrong answer is just to come up with, like you said, a more right answer in the future. So if you knock out that this doesn't work, now you have a data point that says, okay, this experiment didn't work. Oh, you did an experiment that did work. Now you one step closer to doing more things that work. You just do running things to knock out what's not working and get closer to what is working. But you need that deep expertise. You need to do the research. You need to, all these great scientists, the reason they came up with the experience, like these inventions are because they deeply understood their, what they were, their area of expertise. And they were learning about other things and they came up with, they connected two points and it worked. I mean, they didn't think it was going to work. They just tried it and it worked, but they did still had deep expertise. In the thing. And people forget, you need that expertise. You need to understand what you're working with. You need to understand the audience. You need to understand the chemicals that go in to make a great experiment. I love that you're saying this because I think that there's, there's two types of marketers to look out for. And I think that in the world that we're in, which is this kind of like marketing to marketers, I think that they're both pretty actively vo- like vocal in our world. And there's the marketers that make complex stuff easy. So it's like, here's how I build a seven figure business in four easy steps and you can too, right? It's like, you know that, that those four steps are going to be lacking all nuance that like, it's like, but it's like, it makes this complex hard thing seem easy. And then there's on the other side of that, there's the marketers that take easy stuff and make it seem overly complex like every infomercial ever right it's like for a kitchen gadget it's like how can you do this thing and like their hands like everything's falling all around them and it's like you really don't need that chop that kitchen chop gadget like you could just use a knife you're making this look way harder than it is but i think when it comes to marketing we as marketers do each other a disservice where we try to say that something should be like you know okay like you just need to understand emotion right? And marketing is all emotion and people care about like relationships and health and wealth. And as long as you're marketing those three things, you're good. And it's like, there's just like, that gives marketers this license to go off and not do any research, not really try to deeply understand the psychology of their audience or people more generally, and just like be like, okay, I'm going to do this like really broad stroke thing. And then there's on the other end where it's like, you've got to go deep, 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 deep into like the analytical side of things. And like, if you don't, you're like missing out. I think that at the end of the day, it's still, it's all context dependent and it's cool because like when you get to understand more and more about your audience, you are making those smarter bets, but it is, it's kind of like science. And to say that it's simple, which I think that a lot of marketers want to hear is doing them a disservice. It's not simple. (laughs) It's there's there's definitely principles that are simple, but the act of doing effective marketing is hard. Like you have to you find the things that are working, you need to figure out why they're working. When things aren't working, you need to figure out why they're not. Then the environment changes, new things come into the market that are now getting your customers' attention and they're not as interested in your like it's hard. And so I think that there are marketers that t- try to tell marketers it's easy and it's not. And there are marketers that try to tell marketers it's incredibly complex and like you need to do all of this stuff and have all this crazy software and you don't necessarily need that. But there is this truth in the middle, which is that like figuring out what works 
for most folks, it's hard. And when you see somebody say it's not, it's usually because they got lucky and they kind of like, yeah. they hit something and they don't realize that they kind of got this lightning in a bottle. I think the steps in theory are simple. The fundamentals are simple, but the work that goes into the steps aren't, they are, are hard. I think like understanding your audience, someone saying that is an easy step and you should be doing that. But the steps to go into understanding your audience is not just looking at a spreadsheet or stuff like that. It's talking to customers, doing experiments, doing this, doing that. And then eventually you start finding things that you are in common with your customer. It's not just saying, oh, I need to, I'm going to go do a market research and then I'm done. It's a, an evolutionary process. And I think you can distill it like that. And then, but I think sometimes you need to say, hey, marketer, start. you still go back to the basics and start doing these things that are, simple in practice, but in me saying that to do it, but you still have to put in the work to do those things to make it work. So I think I, it's right. I think we overcomplicate a lot of marketing with a lot of fluff with tools and stuff like that, but we oversimplify marketing in the sense that we do three, you do four steps and you can get a result. Um, like you could do that's a, Science Selling is like that. Pills, people ain't buying magic pills, right? Yeah. And sometimes magic pills work. Like we're moving into this interesting phrase that like, I don't know, like you think about the rise of Ozempic, right? Like like Ozempic is widely popular. It's incredibly effective. And like for the last like decades and decades that there's been like a weight issue in like North America, like the Western world in general, there really hasn't been a magic pill. And now there's one that seems it's not a magic pill in a like in every sense, but it's it's helping a lot of people. That's the thing with marketers. Like it's so much easier to sell something that everybody already wants and that makes the thing incredibly easy. But most things don't work that way. Like we talk about like, you know, the bad actors in the marketing world, the people standing behind beside the Lamborghinis saying, you know, all you need to do is buy my two thousand dollar course and you can be a millionaire. Like that stuff is attractive because it makes it seem so easy, right? And people, there's so much bad advice out there where people will say things like, you know, if you're creating content on social, just like talk to you from two years ago. And it's like, yeah, if you want to sell to you from two years ago, but if you're like a business coach that sells into HR departments at SaaS companies, then we're not going to talk to you from two years ago because you don't want to work with business coaches. Like, so, so that advice is terrible for you. Like, and so there's just, I feel like there's a lot of advice that lacks context. And I think as marketers, the better we understand our specific audience and market that we operate in, and the better we understand humans in general and how they function. And if you can fuse those two things together, you can be, that's a deadly combination to be much more effective than the average marketer. Because I think that the average marketer is not doing either. (laughs) They're kind of like tactic jumping, listening to gurus, thinking the next tool is going to be the like save all thing. And it's, Really, the like I, I say all the time, like, context is king. And like, there's shit out there that is genius and brilliant and awesome, and you should do it. Unless you don't actually work in that space and serve those people, in which case it's completely irrelevant to you and ignore it all. But you need to be able to kind of understand your own context, right? Yeah, I think the experience comes from the content they had. For example, if I 
I might say LinkedIn is a great channel for people to get on right now. And to create content on LinkedIn is great. But if I go back to my experience of creating content, I've always been deeply studying social media. I've always been testing and failing on a lot of platforms that I didn't be successful. I know what good content looks like because I've been consuming a lot of content. And that led me to the point that I can create good content on LinkedIn that hit that I didn't know was going to hit, but ended up hitting. But it's, it, all, I could say do create content on LinkedIn, but I'm not, I'm lacking all the things. People lacked all the things that took me to get to LinkedIn to be able to create decent enough content to get attention because they're not studying all the social networks. They're not studying how their audience is doing things. They're not consuming a lot of marketing content. So to be able to just say that is a blanket statement that didn't come from my experience that I did all these things to be able to get to the moment that when I created content on LinkedIn, it actually worked. Yes. And like to come back to like the, like, you know, the topic of our conversation today, I feel like this is why unity is such an incredible, incredibly powerful persuasion technique. And to your point, why you should like work with experts, because suddenly when you work with an expert, somebody who looks like the audience, right, who has a similar experience to the audience, who has similar goals, aspirations, backgrounds, suddenly it's a shortcut to all that stuff. Right. And I think that 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 shortcut doesn't necessarily get understood. It's like the reason that you're able to like leapfrog to like more effective messaging, to creating better content, to building trust faster. If you have somebody at the forefront, uh, kind of like the face of the content, the face of the company that looks like the intended buyer is that they have that whole history in their back pocket. They have that whole experience that they can pull from and to your point, they might not even recognize how valuable that is. But I think a lot of companies discount that. A lot of companies look at the specific skill of the output, meaning like we need writing or we need like design or whatever. But like the lived experience of somebody that makes them resonate and empathize with an audience deeply is super powerful. And more teams should hire more in-house experts because they get that that it's a shortcut. Yeah, I think you made a great point. And I think that's why one of my predictions for 2024 is that, at least for the B2B space, that you're going to see more people hiring content creators in-house. You're going to see more people doing long-term partnerships with content creators because they see that, what would you be said at the beginning, that you need to constantly be reminded that you have expertise. You can't just do one post and be like, oh, I've associated myself with that person. Ogilvy said it best. You're marketing to not a standing army, a standing crowd. You're marketing to a moving army. What he means by that is when you send out a message to a thousand people, those thousand people are just not waiting to hear your message. Yeah. Those people are are doing things and you might hit one person at one time and one person at another time, one person at another time, but they're not just standing there waiting for your message. So you have to keep reminding them. That's why having a face that's keeping reminding them that you exist, that you create great stuff, you have expertise. Eventually there'll be 
you'll come to the top of mind and when they need to make a purchase or they have that problem that or that pain that you you're trying to solve so i think that is the big key that i've realized and i totally agree with you i think the biggest trend that we're going to see in b2b is going to be the emergence of companies recognizing the importance of building the founders and the thought leaders and building the in-house thought leaders and those in-house thought leaders need to be the people that look like the buyer because those are the ones that are going to be the most influential like it's an exciting time because you know marketers used to spend a shit ton of money to hire to get endorsements from celebrities and now you can build your own micro celebrities inside of your own little weird niche and like you can have the Kim Kardashian of like life sciences, like inside of your company. It's a very cool time. Yeah, it's super cool. And I think more and more people catch on to this will be successful. I know a lot of people don't trust it still, but I think the ones that do are going to push the boundaries now that are setting the foundation. I think we're on the beginning of the wave and people are going to look back in five years time because there's always a new wave of things that work. And they'll be wishing that they got on five years earlier. Last question I have for you is, what is a marketing hill you would die on? Uh, Context is king. That's it. That's something that, like, to me, it's everything. Because it's not about does this work. It's not about this tactic. It's not about this channel. It's not about this message. It's about the context of your buyer situation. And that is always changing because our little world around us is always changing. Our life is changing. Our, like, things happen in our lives that make us ready for things and not, like, now we're ready before we weren't like, so if you don't understand the context that you are operating in, you're fucked. And if you're trying to pay attention to what your competitors are doing, then you're super fucked because if they don't know, now not only do you not know, but you're also behind because you're waiting for them to try to figure it out. So like, spend time to understand the context of your buyer situation. And there's lots of ways to do that because that's going to get you from getting on the right path sooner. Lastly, where could people find you? I'm most active on Twitter at Kate Bohr, K-A-T-B-O-U-R. Also more active on LinkedIn as of late, and I'm Caitlin Bergoyne. Amazing. Everybody go follow Caitlin. She does some great stuff. One of the best follows out there. Has a great newsletter, so go subscribe to Why We Pie. And thank you for having me. That means a lot coming from you, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.